Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Raymond Lowe, SVP and CIO at Altamed Health Services. I'm Kate Gamble, Managing Editor and Director of Social Media. In this segment, Lowe talks about his team's core objectives, specifically how Altamed has tripled down to apply value-based care principles to improve outcomes in underserved communities, what it meant to receive epic Gold Stars Level 9 recognition, and how they hope to keep the momentum going, and what they're doing to ensure patients at Altamed receive the same high-quality experience that they would with a large academic organization. Okay, so thanks so much for your time. I'm really glad we could get the chance to catch up. We've spoken before, but it was a while ago. It was April of 2020, so obviously quite a bit's changed since then. But uh, what I really want to talk about is what Altamed's doing, you know, your core objectives, some of the uh, the accomplishments you guys have had in the last year, and, and really what you're trying to do. So can you just give a, a very high-level overview of the organization? Yeah. Okay. One, thank you. It's great to be back and and be doing a, a podcast with you. Ultimate, we actually met during the pandemic and a lot of growth and changes have happened within Ultimate. Um, I would describe Ultimate Health Services as really a large delivery network. At our core, we're a federally qualified health care center. We treat over 500,000 lives in the Medicaid space. So we're probably one of the largest FQHCs in the country. Uh, we also have elder care programs called PACE, which uh, means programs for all-inclusive care of the elderly. And we actually have about 5,000 participants, which makes us the second largest PACE organization. We developed a Medicaid near full risk program in our ultimate health network, where we actually are serving about a quarter million lives. And we also have a managed services organization performing claims and uh, processing as well for ultimate, as well as some other clinical entities that are out there. Looking at um, where things stand right now, 2024, we're almost four years since the start of COVID, which is kind of hard to believe. But that aside, what do you consider to be really your core objectives, your key areas of focus right now? Well, you know, it's for us, we're a Medicaid provider. And being a Medicaid provider, everything is moving toward value-based care. So when you look at the fee-for-service model, the Medicare market, value-based care and the hospital systems has been discussed broadly. As an FQHC approaching value-based care is how do you now take value-based care principles and apply them in the clinic and even more challenging in an underserved community, non-English speaking as well, and folks that are also lowly educated. So it's almost like it's a very hard, complex problem. And we also think about what's happening in like social determinants of health. We have food scarcity, home housing and security, behavioral health issues. Those are, you know, some and or many of our patients that we serve. So we've actually have like tripled down in terms of how are we providing value-based care in Los Angeles and Orange County for these patient populations. I'll give you some examples. So in California in 2023, there was a program release called ECM, which stands for Enhanced Care Management. And the Enhanced Care Management is the top 5% utilizers of Medicaid services across the state. So we received a cohort of patients, and it's really how do you meet those patients where they're at? 
how do you intervene with them? You know, when you really talk about we can treat people clinically with 20%, but it's really you need to fix the 80% of the social aspects of it is really where we've rallied with our caseworkers, with community um, community folks that are out there, community services that are out there as well to really change the patient lives. Some of them have graduated out of our um, ECM program. Some have, you know, not made it through the ECM program as well, but it's really turned the corner of ED utilization and improving the overall health of this most vulnerable, uh, often homeless, drug-dependent behavioral health patient population. When we move more broadly to what's happening in Medicaid space, so currently there's only about 4% of all providers across the country that are looking at how do I do a value-based care approach? How do I take an ACO on there? And I believe towards 2030, that the uh, feds are moving, this will be fully moving that patient population into a BBC and ACO perspective. So we have a number of initiatives. Again, fortunately, we are an epic shop and we built a number of uh, risk models tied to this. And so when you look at the uh, ED admits, um, hospital utilization, how do we raise the overall population health metrics and management of those? So we built some very interesting risk models that actually associate those core chronic diseases and how do we intervene with the patients, whether they're coming out of the hospital, whether they're out in the community, how to identify the cohort, whether we offer them ultimate now, which means it's in telehealth appointments or you know, abilities to do other things to utilize our systems. So creating those models just really significant because it gives you that baseline I would imagine it kind of shows like where you need to go from there. Yeah, it's hard work. It's new work. And and being a community provider versus being an academic medical center, it's a different perspective. So, you know, I look at academic medical centers, they have rich uh, data scientists, rich programs, looking kind of at these analytics. And we're taking from it really, again, from, you know, uh, hypertension, diabetes. So they're the baseline of everything unless you're genetically disposed to something other than how do we, you know, manage those patient populations? How do we, you know, again, use our caseworkers to intervene? How do we have the alerts from our HIEs so we know where people are at or how do we provide services to them? Yeah, so it, it's, it's a lot of, kind of a lot of fun. And there's quite a bit of judgment when you're looking at the patient population. I have the clinical formatocyst, a number of physicians and nurses and other providers that are part of my team. And I go, if we can just identify the right cohort, you know, and if we're like 80% right on that cohort, we can impact the patient population, which we did versus I think in some other areas where we got to be exactly perfect. I go, well, we have this disease state and we kind of qualify and quantify this is who we need to address. Odds are we're going to be able to sweep in those patients. And, you know, that that's actually kind of the outcome we're seeing as we look at our transitions of care programs, our remote patient monitoring programs, as well to provide those, again, those type of more rich programs that help help the patients. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I can see really the challenges in saying that we have to get to 100% because in the meantime, you could be making a difference. You could be moving toward the goal. Yeah, exactly. I, I encourage folks that oftentimes, you know, perfect is the opposite of good enough. I mean, you know, yeah. clinically, we want to be perfect, right? As we're defining a patient population, that's going to ebb and flow. And even more the challenge in Medicaid, uh, Medicaid managed care in particular, is that patients can select every month to go in and out of a plan. So they may be HealthNet, they may be LA Care, they may be Blue Cross Blue Shield, and they may churn, you know, month over month, right? So how are you going to manage that versus when you look at Medicare, Right. Generally, they'll go ahead doing open enrollment 
and they're going to be committed right to that uh, insurance provider for that year. And, and you can have, you know, kind of a different type of impact. The other thing we're looking at, again, on value-based care, and our, our CEO, Costa Lina Rocha, spoke about this at our all-ultimate meeting. You know, he goes, we're really trying to do like five touches, right, when you come into our clinic to address many of the concerns versus sending you out for more special referrals. Really having our primary care providers working at the top of the license, you know, effectively using e-referral type of systems as well and or building even more functionality into our ambulatory modules. So we're looking at cardiology, having more cardiology order sets, et cetera, which are done or ortho or sports medicine, which is kind of interesting for primary care that we want to have that. But we're looking at also have those disciplines to meet what our patients' needs would be. Yeah. When you um do have communities where these are people who are often overlooked or have a lot of challenges, I can imagine that one of the roadblocks is that, you know, somebody has an appointment and you're, they're being given next steps. And for so many reasons, it's really hard for them to follow this. So I, I imagine that that's been a focus of a lot of what you guys are doing. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And, you know, I'll just share, I think, again, we're so proud that we provide culturally competent care, especially in a Spanish speaking population. So obviously, colorectal cancer screening, everybody has it. It's a heinous measure. It's a CMS rating score out there. And um, we actually developed some very effective programs using text campaigns and using photo novellas. So in lieu of, hey, because you are due for it, we actually now send out photo novellas, like, like comic strips, right, which help educate the patients. So they, so they get it, they understand it, and they're actually able to act on it versus a lot of clinical do this, do that, which may confuse folks. So we really looked, again, to simplify that and then using all the right patient engagement tools, calling, texting, emailing, informing, you know, opening schedules, et cetera, so that we can accommodate the patient. And if that doesn't work, offering an instant televisit, you know, again, to meet their needs. Yeah. You mentioned the ECM program, um, working with caseworkers. And is that something, though, that goes through a lot of what you guys are doing to, to work with people like caseworkers who have a lot of access or maybe easier access at some points to the population? It's an interesting question, you know, you ask, Kate, because the caseworkers kind of help coordinate not just the clinical care, but they can mm -hmm. also help with like some of the social environmental aspects and helping to connect them to the community services that are out there. So they, they play such a vital role in being sensitive. Again, if somebody needs a food referral, housing referral, and so that we connect them, that we don't leave them behind, right? Yeah. You know, and we look at that, I mean, in particular, you know, in, in ECM, it's a slice of it. But then mm -hmm. again, you know, you have like a 90% other Medicaid, you know, patient population that can also leverage those services. So we've created those type of programs. I think everybody, when they come in, they, they do ask the SDOH screening questions. What are you doing? You know, and really the question is, so what are you doing with that information? How are you acting on that information? How are you helping the patient find those social services that will help them improve their lives? And, and we've done quite a bit of work, close referrals, et cetera, from our website, through our, our applications, you know, through our clinical visits as well. Interesting. And um, mentioned before being on Epic, which obviously has a lot of advantages, but a lot of the Epic customers, as you know, are, are not exactly structured the way your organization is. So I, I would imagine that there's have been some challenges, but obviously you guys have, have uh, really done very well, uh, you know, getting the, the gold star nine rating. We did, um, thank you. That, that's, yeah, yeah that, that's a really impressive accomplishment. So yeah, can you talk a little bit about um, 
you know, how you guys have been able to achieve like that type of user rating. So Epic Gold Stars for folks that aren't familiar, if you haven't been through an Epic install, Epic gives you grades all the way through the process. And mm -hmm. when you're going to an implementation grade, they're usually telling you that you're C and you're like, oh my God, we're not a C level organization. We're an A level organization. The reality of it is they, they grade you very hard to make sure that you stay on their, on their path and program. Um, once you launch, though, then they actually have the Gold Stars program, which actually measures what your utilization is of Epic and how effectively are you using them. It's multidimensional revenue, check-in, ambulatory, your MyChart utilization. I mean, there, there's a whole compendium of things that Epic scores you on and how well you do it. So, you know, part of it is how good is my analyst team, my Epic analyst team, how good are we at building it, understanding what we need to get to. But again, the power of any type of EHR is how was it being utilized, not only by your clinicians, but also by how well, you know, by your, your patient population, are they getting it, understanding it, are they fully leveraging it? So, you know, it's a lot of work. What is that uh, cooperation? What is that governance that we use across organization? Because there is a litany of functionality that you can release. And when you're releasing things into your clinical business areas, you know, you have to have a very keen eye, one, a new functionality, two, what do I need to come back and optimize, you know, to reinforce, you know, and number three, again, looking at how all the, that's kind of in the quality perspective, you know, we look at the provider satisfaction. How do we make the job easier for the provider? what's on storyboard, what are the alerts, what needs to be action. We're also looking at nurse and clinical practice and there, what could make easier for them as well in terms of streamlining it. Uh, this is some of the great work we do with my CIs and um, also in Ultimate. I mean, we have we have dental systems. Uh, we have a strong, a big HIV AIDS CDL program. We have paper health programs. So that all these other multidisciplinary cares that comes in as looking at the whole patient. Yeah, really, there, there's so much that, that goes into that. And uh, you mentioned governance. So can you talk a little bit about the governance system that you've had in place? Yeah, you know, governance is not easy. Governance is hard. And I think it's it's uh, really having a very clear focus from the executive team to begin with, right? So we are so focused, again, on value-based care and continued growth and optimization this year around there. You know, in California, we went from having you know, an overage into just having a deficit, and Medicaid varies from state to state. Fortunately, our governor, Gavin Newsom, is making a commitment to community health centers in terms of the work we're doing, but we know we can't necessarily rely on it. And there are other things that are happening in the Medicaid space where they're going to full capitation. And it's a new program called APM, which stands Alternative Payment Model. So instead of having more of a traditional fee-for-service model, we're now going to be you know, reimbursed from a full capitation perspective based on patients in the clinic. And again, when you look at Medicaid and you look at patients to be going in and out every month, and there's also another thing called Medicaid redetermination happening, which was waived during the pandemic, right? But now folks that actually fit into the insurance requirements for Medicaid, they can have a pretty big effect, right, for the patient population that were or and now they may not be. And it may not because they don't fit, it's because they might have moved. Their phone number might have changed. Or there's some very simple things that could unintentionally knock people out of Medicaid. But from an FQHC perspective, uh, we have HRSA that provides our oversight. And I think the beauty of Ultimed is that we have the ability to treat and will treat anybody and everybody independent of their ability to pay. So that's why safety net organizations were built so that you know the care can be provided. I think I'm even more excited at the quality we've done at Ultimate. 
Um, in Medicaid, you look at HEDIS measurements, and normally we're like in the 80% or higher in terms of our HEDIS dimensions for you know half a million people. And then even in terms of the Medicare population, we're you know we're sitting at four, four and a half stars rating on there. So look at the quality across the board that we treat the patients well. Yeah. So really, there's a, it's kind of mind-boggling boggling how many uh, how many different components there are to that. To, to know that you're using this to the uh, most of its ability, it's it's very uh, complex and. And there's a number of tools that are out there that we have to deploy as well. I mean, I'm, I'm really just so happy we, we were able to you know, implement all of the patient engagement tools that a patient yeah. would expect, whether you're at Ultimate or whether you're at Cedars-Sinai. You have mm-hmm. the same level of engagement, so there's no differentiation, which really closes down the health equity or the lack of access. around that. So that, that's a big win. And now looking at the rich analytics from a clinical perspective, how are we aligning that? Again, we're using a number of EPIC models. We're also using a Hopkins ACG model to get more sophisticated in terms of how we're treating and identifying the cohorts. And then, of course, my physician and rheumatists are working with providers saying, what do we need to streamline? Where do you need more fast track, et cetera? So it's, it's a very, to your point, it's a very interesting story to how do you pick and, and find your way through around there. But again, we stay very quality focused. We stay very patient outcome focused you know, in, in terms of, of uh, our prioritizations. Yeah. The informaticists obviously seem to play a really key role in all of this, especially given the way that your organization is set up. You know, it's people don't often talk about clinical informatics. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dr. C.T. Lin at University of Colorado, I think he's the godfather of clinical informatics. <laughs> Everybody loves him. He's got yeah. his great Delaney and, and, and right. his guy, and, and he's a physician. But I, mm-hmm. I think for me, being a non-physician on there, it, it's so important to have people that understand technology, people that are practicing medicine. So they're walking in their shoes and then they have to train, they have to hear, and they have to understand. So the power of the decision-making that they're providing at the intersection is so important. You know, some organizations have a lot of structured governance where you will go and review and review and review and review around there, and which is a process. I think we're, we're a little bit more scrappy in terms of how we are making the decisions. And we go back to our executive physician leadership team and our epic governance to show this is what we're doing. This is how we're moving through it, as well as we're going to have, you know, building out what's coming. Again, leveraging us from epic, but other things you're adding on, other epic products. There's always other epic products that you can look at to increase your footprint. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it can be kind of an easy trap to uh, to fall into the uh, too much too much red tape kind of thing. Well, I think that's you know complexity of organizations, right? How yeah, how are you aligning? Sure. What is the outcome in there? And I think we all stay focused, you know, on the triple or quadruple aim: quality, cost, ease of access, right? You know, provider satisfaction. Those should kind of be your guiding stars, and then you can add in you know legal, regulatory, and other areas on there. This should be help us all make our decisions better. Yeah. Okay. So you've been there since 2018. And now when you got there, you guys weren't on Epic, right? Yeah, it's kind of funny, right? 2018, almost yeah, six years ago. And mm-hmm. you know, Ultimate uh, had grown quite a bit during the Obama era. And we really raised the maturity or the organization to a full enterprise level. Mm-hmm. You know, So it was a holistic digital transformation from front data center all the way out to the endpoints. Um, we had no guest wireless when, we, when I first got here. Cybersecurity was was very limited. We are on next gen, which is a great product as well. You know, but now we moved on to we're Epic, we're on Workday, we're on Cisco from a NIST protocol. You know, I'm, we're hitting all the marks on a NIST 
from a cybersecurity perspective. We integrated tax systems. We've developed women's service lines. So there's a lot of things that we've grown, again, with insurance products and other things inside of Ultimed in this six-year journey. It's kind of an interesting, almost dichotomy that the organization's growing, you're bringing in these systems, but at the same time, there's more and more focus on the individual level. So I I imagine that that has to be really part of the mission to to keep that. Oh, absolutely. You know, the patient-centered care, everybody talks about it, but we really live it. We, you know, we really Mm -hmm. leave it. It really comes down from the top, from our CEO, Ultimed's roots is over here in Olympic, and it was a free East LA Barrio clinic in 1968. And folks back then, there was no healthcare at all, right? And our CEO was telling the story that, you know, he would see people lined up around the building just to get a ticket to get in, not even to get your care, and, and they didn't have the ability to pay. And through his leadership, right, we have probably over 65 sites in Los Angeles and Orange County, 5,000 employees, 500,000 lives that we affect as well. And you look at the quality, it's, it's such an amazing story and how you can close out health equity in a Medicaid market, you know, how you can buy the quality care, you know, how you can reach out to the community and be part of the community. And I think that's, that's really how we change what's happening. Yeah. You mentioned briefly the all hands meeting. And uh, I think that that's a really interesting thing too, because you are bringing different people together. And uh, I, I imagine that does a lot for helping people, connecting them not that they need it, but, you know, connecting them even more to the mission. And here's here's what we're doing. Here's what your your work is uh, helping to uh, make happen. Yeah, it, it's a great point because, like, I have a team of 130 you know, in there. And then within the auditorium, there's like 5,000 people. And say we have 500 leaders in Ultimate. And, and the message my team takes forward is look at the impact, right? So you 100 folks are impacting 5,000 people in terms of what we're doing. They're impacting 500,000 people that you may never see. So all the work that we do is so important. We may not be a, a huge team, but we have to be excellent, right? In terms of how we perform, which is why, again, I've been fortunate enough to lead us have full enterprise level type tools in here so that it's very robust, you know, from the data center, the networks, all the way up through the application stacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You talked about Workday too. So that's, is that something that's live now too? We did. We went live with uh, Workday in November. We went live mm-hmm. with HR, finance, and supply chain. We got have some more work to be done. It's It's been a fun road doing the Workday implementation. People kind of look back what happened on Epic. And I said, well, you know, folks, it takes a good six to eight months for you to normalize from the old practices to the new practices. And mm-hmm. you know, we're going to get there, right? We need you to be patient you know, with us. And we're going to have to continue to build out more of the rich functionality that Workday provides as well. So really excited about having a fully integrated financial HR, tying up the clinical areas and draw that clinical decision support, you know, those allocations and those type of visual dashboards that we'll be able to see as well. So real excited to have that coming up in this year as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it speaks also to how much the organization, especially the IS component has evolved in five or six years. Um, so I'm sure it's been, it's been interesting for you to be part of that. Well, every, every year is a journey for something new. I mean, I remember talking to Cisco way back when we we're just doing some core functionality. We're pretty much almost a full Cisco shop, which, you know, they have the foundation to the next level, to the next level, to the next level. You know, when you stratify what's actually happening, all the electrons are flying in and out. Um, and you know that it's been built correctly and that it's mm-hmm. not going to collapse. You can keep moving ahead. I think 
there's been many conversations about technical debt and folks addressing it or not addressing addressing it. Folks have to address technical debt. It's it's a problem in there. Uh, if, you want, if you want to talk briefly, you know, about cybersecurity, we have to be aware that we can do all the defenses we want, but then of course the most weak link is the individual, right? And they may let somebody in. We had a recent incident where all my tools worked, my duels worked, et cetera. But then, you know, somebody let somebody in, they changed something in their account and go, well, you know, we had to make some pretty dramatic changes in here to understand what's happening from a law perspective and shore things up. But people really need to be vigilant in terms of what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, that that's definitely scary. Do you have a CISO, but some kind of de dedicated security leader? Yeah, I do. Actually, I have a VP of cybersecurity. Uh, he reports to me. His name is Tom August. Okay. So uh, Tom has been with me uh, since March of of 2023, and he, you know, he's really driven the uh, the NIST adoption in there and the journey. And and we we don't have a large cyber department, but through his leadership and with an amazing guy named Rob Rice, he we really deployed a number of tools. I mean, if you understand the environment from Cisco ICE actually out to the Iron Board and even at Medigate. So we actually have control of what's happening at all the endpoints. We have about 7,000 endpoints. We're going to get more technical in terms of how we're you know, monitoring that work, how we're seeing what's coming in, the intrusion, how, how it's being auto-blocked. We have a SOC, et cetera, and, and the things that you should look to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, you know, I don't have to tell you all the things that you're working on, all the work everyone's put in, if there's a, a breach can just take things down. It's so scary. Yeah, it's what keeps you up at night, right? It's like, did something happen there? And how do you communicate it? How do you respond to it? How are we going to recover from it, right? What's happening yeah. on the managed detection response? It's, it's really, really important. And again, we can't underestimate what's happening on the cyber world. Those guys are guys and gals, the bad guys are, are, are very tricky, right? Constantly, constantly tricky. And, and so how are we going to react to them and how are we going to keep them out? Yeah, that's uh, that is very true. <laughs> okay. Well, I could definitely talk to you more, but I think I should probably let you go. All right. I definitely want to speak again soon, though, because I know that there's a lot to cover. There's a lot to get to. And it's really interesting hearing about what you guys are doing. Well, okay. Thank you. Again, I, I just appreciate what you and Anthony do out there and, you know, telling our stories. I think we all have to help each other. And, and I, I'm just so pleased that Ultimate is going to have, have really amazing tools. And as I talk to my peers out there, we, we all help each other, right? Because nobody knows all the answers to everything. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.